Check one, check one, two, three. Hey everybody, it's Michael Helms, also known as Michael the Sound Guy, and this is the Location Sound Podcast. You know, each episode we talk with location sound mixers, boom ops, and other industry pros about the various aspects of recording sound on location, whether it's for feature and independent films, TV commercials, interviews, any time where dialogue from actors is recorded. I started my career in the recording studios in New York City with some of the big artists back in the day, and later on projects for networks like HBO, Sci-Fi Channel, and the Cartoon Network. As time went by, I got out of the studio and began working in production sound. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, thanks for joining us. Okay, my guest today is a freelance location sound mixer based out of Queens, New York. Please welcome Michael St. Hilaire, but also known as Punch. Hey, how's it going, Michael? Good to have you, man. Hey, good to be here. I'm fired up. So you're, you're based out of Queens, but you are up in Maine right now. So tell us about your current situation. Well, up in Maine, you know, like everybody else, we're just kind of bogged down with the, the whole coronavirus and, and COVID-19 thing. So just up here in isolation. It's crazy because, I don't know, this year was pretty mapped out. I had a lot of good work coming up and all of a sudden everything shut down. It's nice to be in Maine, but it'd be nice to be doing some work too, you know. Are they having a toilet paper shortage up there as well? Yeah, there's a, tr- a, short- <laughs> there's a shortage of toilet paper. It seems like there's a shortage of like all the essentials. But people here are also pretty ready for it. There's like bunkers, a lot of people with guns and, and trucks. And uh, I think everyone's kind of kind of ready for it. It's a lot safer a place to be, I think, than, than New York right now. Yeah. Well, Ponch, we usually start everything off by asking what's in your audio kit when you're on set. So just kind of give us a rundown of your uh, current mics and mixers and everything on hand. Well, I got a Sound Devices 633 mixer and a Mix Pre 3 that I like to back it up with when I do, uh, especially like any corporate stuff or anything like that. I use uh, WYSIWYGs receivers and, and transmitters for talent. And. We got an Electro IFB-T4 transmitter for IFBs and camera sends. I uh, usually use Tentacle uh, Sync Jam boxes. I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, it's kind of the basic package, you know, a K-Tech boom pole with a Sennheiser 416 microphone. And that's kind of my personal one. But I worked on a whole bunch of different jobs where, you know, I ended up using a lot of different gear throughout the course of the years. Okay, you've used WYSICOM. Have you used other wireless as well? primarily like when i'm working on like a bigger show like uh most of the the reality shows that i've I've worked on use a lot of electros which i like a lot but when i was buying some new gear i don't know i was talking to some of the guys at gotham and i figured i'd try these wizzy toms out i like the the range of the the frequencies on them and uh they've been really good for me in like some remote shoots yeah i got a, a big LFA wideband antenna too for them. So like if I'm doing anything remote and I'm going to get them really far away, I don't know, I haven't really had any problems with them. So I've been liking these Wizzy Toms a lot. Well, what kind of lav mics do you like to use? With these I've been using Sankin, Cost 11s. I think they're good for a lot of different stuff. They're good for, they're pretty fairly durable, I guess. I don't know. I just like the sound of them. They work good. Okay. What kind of bag do you put everything in? I got everything in an Orca bag. It's nice and compact and... Uh, I don't remember what model number it is or whatever it is, but it fits the 633 real nice, and I can fit my uh, my mix pre in there, too. 
All right. Well, let's talk about some of the shows you've worked on. You have done a lot of work for the show Survivor. So how many episodes have you worked on? Well, I worked on, I mean, it's tough to remember. I started working on it on season three, and I worked on it for years and years. Um, took a little time off here and there, but I mean, it's it's been a bread and butter for me for a lot of my career up until maybe about five years ago. So I'd say maybe I did anywhere between 20 and 25 seasons on it. I know there's no typical day with Survivor, but but what's a typical shift like for you? Yeah, that's an interesting job because I mean, Survivor's set up very differently than a lot of different shows. They have like a reality department and a, and a challenge department. And it's almost like two different shows. Um, they're both like really big, big crews, but reality is sort of like... Uh, you know, we're just out there following them around in their everyday life. When we're when we're working out there, everything's with a boom pole. It's one channel, the camera, and then a camera mic. And so we're getting all the audio for the entire reality part of it, which I think is probably the primary segment of the show. Well, it's a big part of it anyway. Yeah, we get it all with a boom. I think most of us use MKH-70s from Sennheiser, but everything's in a Zeppelin on a really long... Boom pole, your arms get really, really jacked by the end of a season of that show. <laughs> Man, so so you're under all kinds of conditions. Now, we interviewed uh, Jimmy Siska, who who's a friend of yours. Did you guys work on those shows together? You know, Jimmy, I, I've heard, I heard of Jimmy. We never actually worked together until pretty recently. So it was good good to get to, to know him and kind of put a name to the face. And, uh, yeah, it seems like we kind of run in a similar circle. You know, there's a, a limited amount of people that kind of, I don't know, I feel pretty lucky to got a chance to get into this sort of adventure reality television. So it was good to, yeah, just meet another one of the gang, I guess, you know. All right. Let's, let's talk about The Amazing Race. You did like, what, 35 episodes or something. So walk us through, you know, what a season is like for the sound team on that, because you guys are traveling around the world, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty intense job. There's a, there's a lot to do as a sound person on that, but you do as a team, like you and your camera operator work, you know, hand in hand. But you're kind of out there on your own as far as that goes. Like it's it's teams of two. It's one camera and one sound. And so, you know, you have to carry all of your personal stuff, all of the audio stuff you might need, um, as well as like any sort of like logistical stuff because there's no producers or anything like that. There's uh, releases and stuff that go into it, carnets. That job's very, very intense. A lot of running. You got to kind of stay in shape for it. The mixing side of it's pretty simple, really. Like, it's just again, it's another job where you go one channel to camera, and another one, the other channel is a camera mic. Yeah, you have a boom that you use sometimes, but you know, there's only two contestants, so you're generally just following these two people and getting their dialogue. Now, do you wire them up, and then you have a wireless hop to camera? Yeah, we wire them up. You know, it's been a few years since I worked on the show, but I think we were using uh, UM400s. It's really important to make sure that the uh, everything's kind of bulletproof on them. So, you know, you'd have it strapped down to them. You'd have a, a, a safety pin in the setup that you have as far as lobbing them, which, you know, you'd safety pin it in and also tape it in just so that it doesn't fall. Because being that it's a competition, you don't want to interrupt. You know, it, it takes away from their time. I'm sure there's some sort of liabilities as far as like slowing them down, you know. Well, speaking of expendables, uh, what are some expendables you like to use on set when you're miking up talent? I'm a big fan of, of moleskin. I kind of like to make a little uh, moleskin sandwich out of the element of the mic, sort of like a sleeping bag. You know, if we're going to be out in some windy weather, I'll use, you know, a Ryko little windscreen on top of it. 
I really like super stick tape. I've been using that a lot more lately to re-fasten stuff. If you have to take mics off and on, like I'll just put it on the other side of the moleskin. Depending on what job it is, you know, like a safety pin can go a long way as far as, you know, if they're going to be moving around, just trying to wedge that into the to the moleskin and then clip it onto the shirt somehow. That, for me, I feel like really goes a ways. Say you're on set and, and say one of these shows, like The Amazing Race, and their, their live comes loose or something. Walk us through that scenario. I'm trying to remember a scenario where it actually happened to me. Like I said, that's a show you really have to be prepared for. Like you want everything kind of bulletproof before so that you're not running after them trying to fix it. There are times when there's like uh, wardrobe changes and stuff like that. And you're kind of in the, in the race with them. So you kind of got to be as speedy as possible, you know, ready to jump in when, when something like that happens. So, you know, if they're doing a wardrobe change for some sort of challenge, you know, you'll be there ready to, to grab their mic. You know, you take it, they change it up, I don't, you know, depending on the scenario, whether they're getting wet or not, you know, you'll boom it, you know, pull the boom out of it and then get them mic'd up when there's, the, you know, you'll, you'll have a hiccup, you know, from time to time, I think, in order to get the, the mic back on them. But everything's so, it's, it's sort of like, you know, how fast you're working as part of their time. It feels like anyway. Did you guys ever like snap a wire and then have to just replace the whole rig? Well, it's, when something does break, it's a it's a big pain. But the guy that runs it, yeah, he'll solder a lot of stuff. He can fix a lot of things. He's got a, got a real good technical end to it. This guy Jim Ursulak, um, who's been souping it for a long time. I think maybe the whole the whole run of it. Yeah, but you have a couple of backups. There are backups that you have on you. Like you know, I think there's one or two spares. But I've personally, I've never had to, had to jump in like that and use it. I I got hurt running once, running after a team, and I ended up. I was like with the, the the other person. I ended up just pulling the receiver off and just going directly to camera because I couldn't keep up. It wasn't ideal, but at least, you know, I had that channel of audio as well. So I didn't lose everything. Man. So it's just you and the cameraman and he's he's calling the shots and you're just, just capturing the, the sound? Yeah. I mean, he's covering what they're doing and you just work as a team making decisions that are, you know, because you obviously like primarily you just want to be safe first, you know but then you want to cover it and make it look good. And when you're in situations where you're having to, to run or, you know, everyone's in a sort of frantic, frenetic energy going on just to, to stay calm and make the right decisions that are safe and still cover it effectively, you know? All right. Now, does anybody ever like stop you, say police or whatever, and, you know, want to talk and what's going on, that kind of thing? I mean, I'm, I've, I've heard stories of other guys that have, that have run into some crazy encounters. I guess for, you know, for me, um, by and large, I haven't had anything too, too nuts like that when I was working on that show. All right. Any disasters on set when it came to, to recording the sound? Um, I mean, on that show, I can't think of anything. I'm Survivor. I mean, the the weather itself plays a big factor in like sort of disaster. I mean, Survivor, I remember one season, I think it was the Philippines, you know, the first 21 or 23 days it rained, you know. Um, and it just wasn't like, you know, a mist. It was a full-on rain for like 23 days straight. And having to, to work in those conditions without your gear going down, you know, it's already humid and swampy. The conditions are tough just trogging through the, the dirt and the mud or whatever. But then just keeping the, the gear dry and making sure it works, you know, there's only so much that, uh, you know, electrical tape and, and your, you know, your rye coat's going to be able to, to stop if it's downpouring on, you know, for 23 days straight on you, you know? Yeah. 
And then you guys in the evening, you go and you usually staying at a resort or a hotel somewhere. I haven't worked on a season in a while. I mean, in the early days, we, we would stay in tents. It was amazing. The setup that they did there was pretty awesome. Like, they they, they set up everything. They, um, you know, it'd be an entire tent village, and they they'd make sure there was like a gym and, you know, obviously all the production, um, art department, everything. It's a, it's a the way that show was run. It felt like a like a sort of a military uh, campaign or something. They'd put you out in the middle of some remote island. And, I think they're stuck to one spot now, and I think they're staying at uh, you know some hotel or something. But I had, this is a, a location I hadn't been to. I think I think they've been shooting out in Fiji. You also worked on the TV series The Zoo. So how was that? That was a pretty fun summer. Anyway, I only did one season of The Zoo. It was a lot of fun, though. Um, you know, if you like animals, it was it was kind of educational. It's weird because I've done a lot of jobs out. You know, Survivor was out in Africa and whatever you go from, from sort of seeing them on safari, like wild animals to, to learning about them in, in, uh, at the Bronx zoo, you know, it was kind of interesting. Was it all at the Bronx zoo in the other zoos? It was all over the zoos in, uh, in New York. So we shot primarily at the Bronx zoo, but we'd shoot in Queens. We shot in Brooklyn, even at the Manhattan zoo at the aquarium over in Coney Island. I was using um, WYSIWYGs for that show, but there was three audio, three or four audio mixers on that, and everybody had their own package. So we had to sort of coordinate IFBs, um, which we all wound up on the same block on. So it was it worked out pretty easily. But uh, the audio supervisor of that is a guy named uh, Andre Artis, and he's uh, yeah, he's a good dude. I've known him for a while from like shows like The Apprentice, and uh, yeah, just a lot of stuff in New York. How did you guys handle time code when it comes to syncing up everybody? So each unit was on, on that show in particular. Each unit was sorted to itself. We never we never ended up really cross covering anything. I'm trying to remember if there was a master time code or not. Like on a lot of different shows where you don't necessarily run into people, at least in in the world I work in, they'll have like a master setup where they can you know set time code, and you can either pull it off that. With tentacles now, it's really easy because you can just sync everything at the beginning of the day from from your phone, and you know once that's set up, time code we could really it's gotten a lot easier. I feel like over the years. What was the mic set up on that one? That was kind of smaller little scenes. You'd end up usually just covering like one guy, so I'd I'd just mic him with my WYSIWYGcom. I, I usually, like, so long as the camera person doesn't get upset and I'm not casting shadows or anything, I'll usually try to throw my boom up over, even if I'm not sending out that mix to anybody, just because it just makes me feel better. I'm kind of old school, especially with, like, the survivor training or whatever. Like, I, I feel like I always got to get a boom pull over everything anyway, you know? Yeah, so it's interesting. Some people, their lav is the go-to, and other people, the boom is the go-to, and the lav is the backup. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess it's everybody's own personal preference. For me... I, I feel safer with it just flying, you know. I've worked on plenty of shows where you don't use it at all. It's easy to get used to. It saves the shoulders a lot, that's for sure. Now, uh, you also worked on The Apprentice. So let's let's talk about what was that experience like? You know, that was a, that was a, a really good job. And I don't want to dive into any politics or anything, but... Uh, yeah, the job itself was great. It was a really good crew. With a, it was big. It was probably 250 people. They used to shoot it primarily in New York and or around October, so it was great. It was like you know late season for baseball, and the leaves were all turning. The air was crisp. It was a, a really fun show to work on, and it was a really well run show. So 
but yeah, you know, it was, it was interesting. Obviously, you know, Donald Trump was there. Um, we were working right out of Trump tower. So set up for that was, that was just primarily live or primarily live. Yeah. You'd have everybody live. And then there was a multi-track inside the tower for any of the, the boardroom stuff or anything like that. Everything was multi-tracked and their war rooms were, were all, everything was in the tower. So it was easy, easy to do that. Once, once they wired it up, I think they kind of left it wired for the better part of the, the show. Any interesting challenges with all that? Well, I mean, it got really interesting. Like during the election year, a whole bunch of people were, were calling and really trying to get a lot of information on it. And, you know, due to just like the non-disclosure acts and whatever, I was just afraid to say anything. Plus, like, I, I don't, I'm not really I'm not one to talk about any politics or whatever too much, I guess. So that, you know, that part of it was challenging. Mixing wise, I'm working on a show. Um, you know, I think during the first season, there were some challenges, it was, you know, we were all over the entire city, you know, it was a uh, kind of a fast paced sort of, it wasn't an adventure show, but you know, these, these people were trying to run and get to places too. So, you know, just making sure, you know, it is in New York, the frequencies are all over the place, the general kind of hits and stuff that you would take from that. Well, how did you get started in production sound? I worked on a TV show. I was still in college and they did a, a TV show back in uh, the 1900s, back in 1996 or 1997 called uh, Bug Juice. It was like the real world for kids at summer camp. They did three seasons of it. They did it up in Maine where I, where I grew up and it was summer in, in between college, you know, semesters. I don't know. My buddy calls me up. Some of the, one of the PAs ended up getting fired and he's like, Hey, you want to come work on this? I'm like, well, I don't even know what a PA is. I ended up coming in Back then, it was like the beginning of reality television. It felt like reality television. Like, I mean, we didn't know it, but it felt like that was like sort of like kind of cutting into a whole new genre. Yeah, I started working on that job. You know, as a PA on those jobs, like we would actually mic the kids and we would camera assist. It was kind of all over the place. There wasn't like set positions, really. It was like I said, it was sort of still like the Wild West. I ended up getting to become really good friends with the sound guy on Bug Juice, the uh, audio supervisor, this guy, Stacy Hill. Yeah, he showed me how to do sound. I got interested in it. And like I said, I, that show ended up doing three seasons. And after that, it was sort of around like 1999, 2000. Um, a lot of these other shows started popping up like Survivor and Temptation Island and all these other things that I ended up sort of working on right then and just kind of rolled rolled with it <laughs> i kept here i remember hearing like uh, uh this reality tv thing's not gonna last so you better find like a new career and i'm like well i'm just gonna keep rolling with it for a while and see what happens huh. well did you have any mentors along the way that kind of helped you get started yeah well stacy hill for sure is a really funny dude i haven't seen him in a while but he i think he's doing a lot more scripted stuff out in uh, la now but he he really helped me out with like I said, Bug Juice was the first show I worked on, and he ended up training me how to do audio. And by the third season of it, I was hired on as a as an audio mixer, a junior one. But uh, he was a big mentor to me. Nice. Now, out of all the projects you've you've ever worked on, what's been your favorite so far? I got lucky. I got to do a cool a couple cool travel documentaries. I worked on a travel documentary called A Thousand Places to See Before You Die, which was pretty awesome. They only did one season. But it was like a four-month gig. This was still 2007 or 2008. So I think we were using a – I think I was using a Wint X5, actually, and some UM, 
whatever series. I don't remember what series I was using for those. Direct to camera. Yeah, direct to camera. I couldn't record to ourselves, but there was only two talent, two main talent. This is a really lovely couple from from Colorado, and they had never even really been into TV before. So they they just kind of won this kind of trip around the world, and then they all of a sudden were hosting it. That was a good one. That had its own challenges because you know we'd, we'd be in, in weather like in Nepal where it was cold and I would literally ran like the length of this river, like running alongside of their raft in order to like keep in range with them so we could record their audio while they were doing it. So, you know, being on the you know, mountains in Hawaii and we were in Alaska, I don't know, we went to like 37 out of the 1000 places that were in the book. So it was kind of tough coordinating all the frequencies everywhere and, and just, just weatherproofing everything for pretty much every type of climate. What is the worst onset experience you've ever had? Could be dealing with other people, could be equipment issue, the worst onset. And you don't have to give any names or places, so you can kind of keep it vague. Um, it's a little gross, so bear with me. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I was working in Cuyahoga County Jail on a show called Lockup. Sadly, one of the inmates was had been in isolation for a while, and he, he got people start to lose it or whatever. Um, anyway, he somehow defecated all over the cell and he came out of the cell and he kind of had it all over him. He came kind of walking like right at me. And I remember just kind of like keep extending the boom pole as I was like backing up to keep him kind of away. <laughs> that was kind of a rough one. <laughs> it was pretty gross. I mean, I, I, I <laughs> my camera guy and I couldn't stop laughing about it later though. I mean, we were dying laughing. He was like, cause like he, I kept gagging. Like I got a, a weak stomach for that. I kept gagging and my camera guy kept filming me. And I'm like, stop. I kept getting mad at him. I'm like, stop shooting me. Uh, that was pretty good. I had a kind of scary experience. Um, it was weird. It was over the course of a couple of years. This, this one guy, I was working in Zanzibar, the island off the coast of Tanzania. First it was for a show for history channel called Expedition Africa. And we were following Stanley's route across Tanzania to get to Livingston and the source of the Nile, you know, Lake Tanganyika or whatever. And this was probably like 2006 or something. I remember this Nigerian guy was, was there and he was like following me around. He was giving me a hard time. My camera guy was a South African guy at the time. And we were like kind of arguing with this dude. Then the very next year, I ended up going back to Zanzibar to do a different shoot and I'm with a different camera person. And I remember seeing the, the guy and I was just like pointing him out to my camera operator. And she was like, she's like, huh? She's like, you think he remembers you? I'm like, I don't know. And then we see him later on and he came up and like hit me on the shoulder. and was like, was like, yo, like, I remember you from last year. He didn't, he didn't like me. So it was kind of scary. I, I was like, and he showed me this big knife. And I was like, oh man, hope this dude doesn't like try to knife me. He's just like a resident. He he wasn't part of the show or anything, right? Just some dude hanging out there. Yeah, he seemed like he was probably some sort of troublemaker. You know what I mean? Definitely like one of those shifty dudes that you'd see. But I remember like he he was giving me a hard time. Some of this stuff so long ago, it's hard to think of anything uh, like what what exactly he was giving me a hard time about. Interesting. Well, if you could go back and start your career over again, what would you what would you do differently? I think I'd probably try to just. I mean, I felt like I always kind of respected the guys that were older than me, but maybe just try to listen to some of their advice a little bit more. I mean, when I was uh, 
younger and started off, I was, there's no doubt about it. I was like sort of a party animal and I was loving it because I was getting all these jobs, traveling all over the world. I think if I could have used some of that time to maybe get a better technical understanding of stuff at the time that I didn't understand, maybe I could have been a little bit stronger as an actual audio guy for, for a long time. I, I felt like it was, you know, I was like, Oh, whatever. I'll plug this in here, plug that in there. <laughs> you know, I, I guess like trying to just figure it out like everybody, I guess, you know, it's a, usually a, a series of mistakes or whatever, but I think if I could have done it yeah, a little bit differently, maybe I'd, I'd just listen to some of the guys that, that were a little bit older, maybe try to take some of the, the examples that they were saying. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think when I was younger, I was I kind of fought the system a little bit myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, it felt it was awesome. Like back in the day, like when the survivors first started and, and Temptation Island and it just seemed like the, the community was really small and you were kind of going show to show to show for for years. I ended up, you know, I remember the first year I rented a, an apartment in Manhattan, the first 11 months, it, it was a two year lease and the first 11 months of the year I was overseas I mean working you know just it was just non-stop like of all this crazy travel and i was lucky because of you know getting into this industry especially as a sound guy I, I felt like it really afforded me an opportunity to see a lot of the world you know it was a pretty good break especially back then but I th i'm not sure how seriously i took it you know at the time i guess i kind of just was just rolling with it all right now how do you balance the work life and private life it's uh, <laughs> It's tough. It, it, it's a big balance. You know, there's a lot of, you know, just trying to coordinate it, find different jobs, especially since I was got more serious with my girlfriend. Can't just take jobs like I used to, you know, like someone would be like, hey, you want to go to Greece tomorrow? Sure. You know, now I, I got to kind of plan things out. And so, you, you know, how it is just trying to balance like anything, just trying to find a uh, little bit of balance. Nice. If some of our listeners were just getting started in production sound, what kind of recommendation or what kind of advice would you give them? I don't know. Maybe sort of like what I was just saying, like pay, pay attention to what some of the, the older guys are saying and listen to the advice that they're giving you when they're on set. You know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Like I, I feel like a lot of uh, mixers, especially on big shows or anybody sort of new to a, a scene might be a little bit afraid or intimidated uh, I feel like most people respond well, at least in the community that I work with, to, to questions. Like, rather than just try to guess, you know, ask somebody that can help you out. Yeah, I just, yeah, I think, you know, when I look back, I, I probably did the same. You know, you had some of these guys and, well, I started off in the in the studio and I'd work with some of these guys. And, and here they were like in this key role. They were, I would say I was an assistant engineer and they were an engineer and they were working with, and they're like asking me how to run the console, like how to run the equipment. And I'm like, and you're there making such and such money. And I'm here, you know, getting by at five bucks an hour. I didn't, I didn't quite in that part. I think irritated me. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I can imagine that would irritate you, especially if you're more qualified than the guys that are kind of getting all the credit for it too, you know? Well, that is true. Well, man, this has been great though. Is there any other projects that you'd like to talk about or things that you've done that would be kind of interesting to the listeners out there? You know, it's fun. It's a fun talking about. It. I feel lucky that I got into this this business and into sound mixing. Like I said, in particular, you know, a lot of the reality world. There's, you know, in certain departments, there's a lot of competition and and ego. I feel like in sound, it's a lot less. Most of the time, when I get to work with other sound people, it's usually friends of mine, and, and everyone's kind of on a same page to try to get things done uh, and just get it done. With, you know, without any hassle. You know, 
So it was fun. I was just working with Jimmy on a project that I don't think I'm really allowed to talk about right now because of disclosure stuff or whatever. But uh, it was fun. Like I said, working with a guy like that, you know, who I'd heard of for a while, we get together and it was just easy. It's sort of seamless to, to put that together. Yeah, it is nice. When you know you don't have to go to work and argue with somebody or fight with somebody, you're there, you're doing your part, they're doing their part, you're working together, things are smooth. That, that To me, that's like the best thing to work on. Yeah, there's not, I mean, and I guess, you know, that's why I like shows like The Apprentice were so fun to work on, despite like, you know, some of the content or whatever, or, you know, Bachelor, like, like, that's another fun show. I did that for a while and, and uh, or like some of the spinoffs, you know, and that crew was just fantastic so it makes going to work a, a pleasure you know yeah well this has been great man I, I really appreciate you taking the time out to to record the interview and if uh, if people wanted to like reach out and maybe contact you and uh, what's the best way for them to do that you could try my uh, my instagram i guess which is paunch p-o-n-c-h underscore saint s-a-i-n-t I guess try that. That's probably the best way. It's the the social media I'm on the most. (laughs) All right. Well, I want to say thanks to Michael Ponch St. Hilaire for being on the show today. Thanks, Michael. It was nice talking to you, man. And I'd like to say thanks to everyone for listening. If you have questions or would like us to discuss a particular topic, email us at locationsoundpodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, sound is half the picture.